We're back. We are back live in the studio. Oh my gosh, I never thought this day would come. It's so beautiful. <laughs> there are microphones. There's professional stuff. The wall. We, the wall is here. All the walls are here. Thank you, God. <laughs> Thank you so much, the Tunes. This is the Formation Lab. Welcome, welcome, welcome one. Welcome all back to the Formation Lab. Who is back? We are back in our home. Tim, it feels nice to see you in person again and also to see the wall of shame, the wall of fame, just everything. Yeah, you don't have to see the rich energy corner of intrigue and villainy, but I do. And uh, William's story is still staring holes through my soul, and it's strange, but it is lovely to be back uh, at Hubbard Radio 101 ESPN uh, to have all of our stuff back. It, it's good to be home, man. It does. It feels a little bit like a homecoming. Like, we were it just does. walking in past the fountain, and I'm like, oh, that little breeze that would have gotten me, you know, a little angry that I got a little moist in the previous years. I'm now, oh, it's nice. It is. It's nice to be back. A uh, little bit of a bummer in the building where we're at. There was a pretty good burger joint that is no more. Yes. Rest in peace, Five Star Burger. You guys had some incredible burgers. They were good. They were so good. Uh, we will miss you. Uh, from the bottom of our hearts, but mostly everything seems intact. Everything is literally right where we left it. So, yeah, it's lovely. This is fantastic. You know, when we left, when we left off, uh, you know, prior to this whole pandemic thing, which I want to stress isn't over. It's just we can come back to work now. When we left, last left off, um, we were looking forward to the IndyCar season. Uh huh. Um, we were looking forward to the F1 season, still are. Uh, Scott Dixon was, I mean, being Scott Dixon all throughout, and uh, Indy Car was about to race. So, dare I say, nothing changed, Tim. Y- yeah, literally <laughs> nothing changed for about 90 days. Yep. So, <laughs> we're right back where we started. Right back. We didn't really miss anything. We just kind of talked about other stuff for a little while. We we did. I think this is, this is where, uh, if I can, like, pat ourselves on the back, I think this is where our focus on both Formula One and IndyCar really came in handy because we... And, and to be honest, I think we might have to start watching NASCAR again. <laughs> yeah. that was a fun race they had over the weekend. <laughs> that was pretty fun. Also, well done on NASCAR. Uh, some very tasteful moments in their broadcast as well. Yeah, there were. It was... Uh, they, they took their responsibility to this public discourse very seriously and good on them. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll be tuning in for a few more races because they put on a pretty good... Uh, on track product as well they put the di- the uh breakdowns from the nbc team were fantastic and uh the in i'm really liking the in-car interviews those are a lot of fun <laughs> they really are so uh an eternal tip of the cap to nascar for doing what they did proving you can come back to racing uh somewhat safely and uh just an absolutely fantastic job by them so our eternal gratitude to the NASCAR crew, the NASCAR crowd, and uh, we might have to we might have to lean into that a little more because I had a good time. I did too. I did too. But that that was fantastic. But yeah, you're right. It was fun to kind of spread our attention around. And uh, IndyCar is the first of the main two open wheel uh, car shows that we that we cover <laughs> on the show. Oh my God, it's been a minute. All right, guys, I'm trying to get used to this again. Tim's got the biggest grin on his face. I've got the biggest grin on my face. But then I looked at, you know, that one lady from Miami or the Renault F1 team on the wall of shame and a frown is upon my face. But you know what has a smile upon my face? The IndyCar, the Genesis 300. Such a, it was a good race. It was a good race. There were some drawbacks. 
that we will get to. We will absolutely get to this. But uh, it really lived up to it. I, I And it came through like we thought it would with the veterans showing the rookies how it's done. Mm-hmm. If you remember and you heard last week's episode, we made the bold but also not very bold prediction that Will Power, Scott Dixon, and Joseph Newgarden would be our three leaders. And it would really come down to Scott Dixon, uh, Will Power, and Joseph Newgarden for different reasons. Newgarden because he's the defending champ. Will Power because the double courses favor him. And Scott Dixon, because the man is a machine. He's, he's a machine. And it's, it's, it's like we were talking about last week. He's consistent. He knows what he's doing. And he's got the mental fortitude to just get it done. So it was, it was great to see. I was thrilled for him. And I think most of what we talked about came true. We saw the rookie struggle a bit. We saw Joseph Newgarden struggle a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he'll and he'll talk about it here in a little bit, but I think he did pretty well given the circumstances. Uh, and especially, I think the great equalizer in the back of my mind, I thought the great equalizer for the entire race would have been the arrow screen. But turns out, no, that it, it turned out exactly like we thought it would. But I'm sorry, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't wait to to just bash that thing. I hate it. All right, let's get into the arrow screen. Oh my gosh! And then we'll start with the arrow screen, but then we'll kick it out to the Genesis 300 at Texas Motor Speedway. We'll do a race review, and then we'll kick it out. We do have one little bit of news here uh, in the Formula One world, but let's start with the arrow screen. Tim, the start of a brand new era for IndyCar, and I can tell by the look on your face and by the text that you sent, and by our talks in studio, you weren't a fan. I was not a fan. Thank you for not uh, airing my profanity-laden texts on air. But, yes, I was not a big fan of it. I think they look worse than the Halo did initially because they are the Halo with a screen. And I think that's kind of silly. And they just the thing about indie cars and about Formula One cars is that they just naturally look fast. And when you put something on that in such an unrefined way – it tends to look worse. You should have probably waited for the chassis manufacturer to come out with something that made it look better. Uh, But, yeah, it was kind of brutal to look at. I will agree. It looks a little brutal to look at, and I have, you know, friends who this year is going to be their first Indy 500, which, um, not on the news, but Roger Pinsky says it will be run in front of fans, like hard stop. Um, But I... Go, Roger, go. Yeah, uh, if they can be done, he'll do it. But uh, I... I feel bad that their first interaction with the Indy 500, it, one of them, it's not this first Indy car race, so he's okay. He knows what's going on. The other is his first Indy car race, and I'm like, I feel bad that you're going to have to see the arrow screen and just, like, this is your image for all time of what an Indy car is. But I will say, Tim, you and I didn't like the Halo when it started. We didn't. We didn't know, but... And it came out as the concept. We thought it. We made tons of jokes about how it looked like a flip flop. Still does. Still kind of does. But they've integrated it more, and they started to integrate it almost immediately. They painted it differently. They put fairings on it pretty quickly. And by honestly, out of testing, after the first practice, you and I were pretty good with it. We're like, okay, that kind of it kind of looks incorporated next year. It'll be even better. So it's it's aged well with time. That being said. The arrow screen hasn't gotten off to that great of a, a start, and honestly, I don't know why they didn't just go for the halo as it was. I think part of the thing with with the halo um, is that opening on the front um, still allows debris 
to get through uh, under some circumstances. And we almost saw Lewis Hamilton uh, get, you know, his head knocked, uh, I think it was last, uh, last year at Japan. Um, was it, I think it was Hamilton because Charles Leclerc spat off some parts uh, at Suzuka. Yeah, that's true. Um, he did. It, we almost had another Felipe Massa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and I think when IndyCar, when you consider the speeds they're going, which I understand Formula One is fast, but when you're doing 240 miles an hour at an oval is an entirely different beast in terms of the debris that's spitting everywhere. Um, it's a lot harder to avoid and the speeds are more dangerous. So I think that that is why the aero screen had to go there, but I like the, the actual glass had to be there. Right. Yeah. But I will say there are two things that I think I'm going to reserve my judgment of the aero screen until this happens. One is you, you mentioned it after teams figured out how to paint these, you know, the halos after they figured out how to put a little fairings on it. And especially now that they're really worked into the entire, you know, body of the car, they look seamless almost. Um, It looks a lot better, right? The aero screen doesn't have that advantage yet for two reasons. One, um, they haven't really been able to work on the car all that much uh, under present circumstances, Understandably. Understandably. <laughs> Understandably. Yes, it, there, there's been a few things happening around the world. So it looks, still looks bolted on, shall we say. Two is because IndyCar is, you know, a spec series, those chassis, the DW12 chassis, which we're still working with a minor variation of, right? Introduced in 2012. Um, these are just, these are just an aero screen bolted onto it, right? When. Not if, but when IndyCar moves on uh, to a new chassis, which will be in the next couple of years. I think Penske's hinted towards it, and it's about that time to do it anyway. And Delara is up for the challenge. Of course. Uh, they make fanta- they've done a fantastic job with this generation. Phenomenal, Phenomenal job. job. The cars look amazing. <laughs> they look amazing. They perform amazing. Uh, the racing has been really good. When there's a crash, the, the survival pods are flawless. They're fantastic. But I think I'm going to reserve my judgment until Delara makes the next generation— and they can work the aero screen in. There's no, you know, COVID-19 related, you know, working rules. Mm. And they can really go all out. And I think that is when you'll start to see not a sexy aero screen, but a good looking aero screen or an acceptable aero screen. And I, I think the biggest problem for me was that I wasn't able to see the helmets. Like with Formula One, with a halo, I can still see who's driving. With... IndyCar, I can't because I know what Pagano's helmet looks like. I know what Newgarden's helmet looks like. And if they're in a different car from week to week, paint skin or livery wise, it's hard to tell. So if I can see their helmets, okay, that's who that is. If it's not, um, I don't know who that is. It's a solid maybe at this point. It was weird seeing Simon Pagano in that black and white car he had. So weird. <laughs> it's like, well, who is that? Oh, that's Simon Pagano. That's Pags. What? But what what livery do we have this week? Oh, fun. I th- but, you know, I think IndyCar is doing whatever they can to survive the COVID crisis themselves. So yeah. um, if they have to switch up liveries, then that's what they got to do. Yep. But uh, so AeroScreen, um, gigantic meh from me. I think one thing that would help is in the future, if it wasn't so high, maybe you could see a little more of the driver. And maybe, you know, it. they kind of look almost enclosed, right? When a driver it pops does. out the top, it's like, oh, there's no roof there. Right. Right. Yeah, it, it does. It looks like it just, a, just an enclosed cockpit that you would see maybe running it in the prototype class in, like, an IMSA race. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really look like an IndyCar normally does. It's it's really It really throws me for a loop. But 
that being said, the race was fun <laughs> the race because was- the format was different. Uh, the track did not act normally. No. And there there were some fireworks. There was some good stuff. There was some good stuff. It- and my my favorite person to do this did it. He DNF'd. Thank you, God. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Uh, when Santino Ferrucci had trouble in the he pits. He had <laughs> trouble in the pits. Oh, darn. I was I was, I was, was literally watching that writing. I write down, like, annotations and notes for what happens in the race. Um, and, Tim, and, and you put, Tim's happy now because Santino writing that. Ferrucci isn't, isn't in there anymore. I was literally writing it down. I'm like, ah, Tim's just got the biggest grin on his face right now. Yep, I, I, I did a little dance. I'm like, he can't hurt anybody at this point. <laughs> Uh, if 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 only Mar- it didn't happen to Felix Rosenquist. Let's get let's get into the race. Let's, let's get into do the it. race itself. Yes. yes. Um, I thought the race was fantastic. I thought if you're a Formula One fan tuning into IndyCar for the first time or actually giving a legitimate shot for the first time, this was a fantastic race to start with because it wasn't full on Indy. Bam, 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 bam. 80 different lead changes. Right. It had that Formula One feel of every pass was very valuable, but the passes happened at a rate that Formula One fans would be like, this is a very good pace. This is, it was a good pace. There were, it was a higher rate of passing, but the passes made sense. They had strategic value to them. And there was a lot going on with pit strategies, with uh, the track itself played a much bigger part. Tires weren't, you know, as big an issue, which I think Formula One fans would really enjoy. Uh, Whereas you have high degradation tires or HD tires in Formula One and you have, Lewis Hamilton getting on the radio. Oh, the tires are gone. I've had them for a lap. They're gone. That you know, and that's and that's the only time joke I will make about Lewis Hamilton today because I think he's been doing fantastic lately with his responsibility as champion. And I've been going back through old Formula One races. The only word I can come up with to describe Lewis Hamilton is precision. Oh, he's fantastic. He is very precise. But anyway, getting back to the IndyCar race. You don't have that the tire issue being as big an issue, being as big a problem. You have strategy, you have airflow, you have position on track, and you have the track itself actually playing into it a lot. The track itself was a big character. It really was, and you started to see that in practice and qualifying. So NASCAR, for those of you who are unfamiliar, even <laughs> even Tim and I, I don't want to say learned this recently, but kind of had it made known to us recently. NASCAR uses a compound called PJ1 Track Bite, and uh, I remember talking about it um, two years ago uh, at the IndyCar race because the NASCAR had put it down. And uh, But it's basically, it's a glue. It, it's a substance it's a, it's a, that they it's put down. It's an adhesive substance, mm-hmm. kind of like pine tar for baseball fans. Yep. Uh, we use it at the drag strip all the time, and what it does is it just makes you able to it makes you able to go around whatever corner whatever part of the corner it is faster so if the inside line is the dominant line you put it on the outside line and all of a sudden oh maybe these you know you have a two lane track or you put it on the inside line and all of a sudden the inside line is just as fast as the outside line um they had they didn't have some leftover it was originally thought because when you go to when they went to texas they noticed that the turns the upper halves of the turns were just pitch black and the bottom looked like they hadn't been raced since november because they hadn't. <laughs> right. He, for very good reason, yeah. they have not been touched. Yeah. Um, but the PJ1, the track bite substance, doesn't, like, it It wouldn't hold on that long. So it just kind of stained the track, so to speak. And that led to, I believe the official explanation is, is that darker area of the track held heat better and therefore was considerably worse in grip. And in IndyCar and in Formula One, you have to worry about marbles on the line that, you know, 
is outside of your typical line already. That made that dark area of the track outside of those, you know, straight lines. It was treacherous. It, it was treacherous. And the thing is, is that it would, it had substances built up that when you got on them, if you were absolutely foot buried in the loud pedal and you were trying to make a pass, you were going to be slowed down by a significant margin. But the other thing is that not only were you slowed down so there was more friction against your tires, but that friction didn't give you any grip. Mm-hmm. So you you would start fishtailing. You would lose your line because you wouldn't be able to grip anything. There were several instances where cars would, like I think this was what happened to Rosenquist, the car just lost grip completely, mm-hmm. and it went into the wall. So And it was on that outside line. Whereas when Rossi went out there, it just pulled his car backward. Because yeah. there was too much friction. So friction can sometimes lead, sometimes lead to grip. It can also sometimes lead to just bad things happening. Yeah. We saw how dangerous that was, specifically with Rossi. Let's kind of break this down for a couple of minutes here. Yeah. Rossi on, I wrote it down as lap 47. Um, it was the green green flag right after the uh, Polo and VK crash. Uh, he got stuck on the outside line, and you could immediately well, see attempted, his car. He attempted to make a pass. His pace had been really, really good mm-hmm. up until that point. And we had all been in a text chain talking about, you know, oh, he's waiting to make his move. He's going to start moving up the field. This is going to be great. Watching Alexander Rossi scythe through a field is just a wonderful thing to watch. But he started on the outside move. And uh uh-oh. You could see his car almost immediately slow down. The cars on the inside are rocketing past him. I think he lost two or three positions. But as he slowed down immediately when your mind goes, oh, look at how bad that outside line is, then his steering, he starts all over because he's losing control the back end of his car. It was dangerous. It was extremely dangerous. And the fact, it would take someone of Rossi's caliber to maintain that car and not go into the wall. Rosenfist is no slouch himself, and he lost control of it. So it t- that the to take out drivers of their caliber tells you just how treacherous it was. Let's start then with our kind of the few drivers you want to break down here. Uh, Alexander Rossi had a rough day at the Oval, even though you know he he had some points where he was cutting through the field and he you know made some moves. Uh, he started out with a uh, electronics issue, I think it was, and it was both him and Ryan Hunter Ray. So the so two of what I would consider the more consistent. Andretti Autosport cars immediately had those electronics penalties, so they had to start from the back of the pack because they made unapproved changes and then had to do a drive-through penalty, which put the two laps down. Brutal. <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely brutal. brutal. <laughs> but that being said, they, they're up to doing it. Yeah, they are. And so Rossi didn't really have anything to lose, and I think he kind of knew that. He played a couple. He had a couple incidences. One was uh, that for, lap forty-seven, him getting loose. That was intriguing to watch because it was the first time that you really, really saw how bad it was. Um, but the other one is, uh, I believe it was later in the race. He held up Scott Dixon. Yeah, he's held up Scott Dixon on like lap one sixty-seven for like eight laps, and that allowed Felix Rosenquist to get within half a second. And I, for the life of me, couldn't figure out why he was doing that because Alex Rosenquist and Dixon are teammates. The only reason I could figure out Rossi intentionally holding him up uh, would be he knows that Dixon is a guy he's going to be fighting. Rosenquist probably isn't in the overall championship. That is true. And that, especially with this abridged, version of whatever's left of the season every little bit counts Mm -hmm. and 
And I think it heard it best by Will D- Will Buxton uh, when he was talking on Drive to Survive on Netflix is that every champion, every true champion, has what he has coined uh, as an inner bastard who can make that hard decision, whether or not it's your teammate, and take advantage wherever you can. And if it's in the early stages of a race and it's backing up your teammate into a challenger that won't be really a challenger, that's what you're going to do. So that's some 3D chess from from Rossi. Yeah, and so, yeah, it was a little bit of a head-scratcher, but I think that's what it was. Also, Rossi didn't want to go another lap down. He was on the... the mm. He was already one behind. He didn't want to go another one behind, back to where he started. Yeah. Um. So I, I liked Rossi's race. It, there's just... He just got bit by a bug. Let's talk about how somebody who had a great race. Scott Dixon. Whew. Oh, So it, qualifying, Tim, you watched qualifying uh, along with us, I believe, and uh, qualifying was interesting because it was like, oh, man, Zach Veach has a really good run. That's really... And... Scott Dixon comes out, and I'm not kidding. Um, he put out like 1.2 miles per hour quicker than the next best time in qualifying. You took a look at that lap, and you were like, "Oh, oh boy!" <laughs> you, you think, "Ooh, Veach, that's a solid one." I don't know if anybody can. Oh, it's Scott Dixon. Never mind. There he is. <laughs> and then okay. Jo- Joseph Newgarden comes out and tops it. And you saw, like, you saw Scott Dixon go, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> gets out of the car in his New Zealand accent. Yeah, all right. No one can tell that. Yeah, all right. All right, the, then. The look, oh, on, <laughs> the look on his face was one of like, how in the world did you beat that? Because I beat everybody else by 1.2 miles per hour. He threw down the gaunt. One champion threw down the gauntlet. Another champion picked it up. He so, really did, but and but I thought it was a fantastic. It was it was such an exciting qualifying. It really was. It was it was really close with the top with the sharp end and the back end of the field. It was great too, you know. So uh, personally, wow, I I like this format a lot. I quite like the format as well, and I think this is uh, tie it into our Formula One listeners. If uh, this is why I'm more okay with Formula One kind of playing with the format, especially in 2020, is because. IndyCar has just a radically different format than Formula One does in qualifying, be it at the 500 or at this event, right? Both of them have have produced some really entertaining qualifyings. Like watching it come down to the absolute wire and little plucky Junko's racing knocking off McLaren. That... It, it, it's just... It's edge-of-your-seat stuff. It's the reason to translate it for uh, Formula One fans... It's the reason you tune in to watch Monaco. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. That's the actual race is the is the qualifying, but it's it's fun. It's edge of your seat stuff. It's great entertainment. It's a great on track product, and I wish F one would take more of a more of a page out of IndyCar's book. So Scott Dixon had his heart ripped out and had oh. to start had to start in in the second position. Oh, how, whatever will he do? And from that moment <laughs> forward, I mean, once Scott Dixon. Got off the line, right? He was behind Newgarden, but Newgarden uh, pit in, at lap 33, and he claimed he had vibration on his right rear tire. Um, once you saw the pace Scott Dixon had and when he you know, took the lead, you knew that this was going to be a Scott Dixon race. I think by the early, early, la- early in the 20s in laps, he was up by like four and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. So the, it really wasn't that close. He put his stamp of authority on this one. He he really, really did. Uh, that 35, first uh, pit cycle, right? And I, I do want to hit on that. Um, 
the reason that there was a 35 limit for the pits is because Firestone wasn't able to make new tires um, to accommodate for the for the aero screen um, for 2020. So they're using their excess 2019 tires, and they have no idea how they were going to hold up. So they, they had did, they did pretty good. They did pretty well, but I think that the uh, the mandatory cautions well they were mandatory cautions you just had a 35 lap limit which i i like that there wasn't a mandatory caution period um but that 35 lap limit actually kept things fairly interesting because it it tended to have a lot more green flag uh pit stops or it would have if the cautions weren't timed out the way they were but uh you come out of that it's i want to hit on uh polo uh alex polo and uh renus vk which by the way i every time i type out renus vk it feels weird to spell um, <laughs> take that I how you it. will. Yeah, I mean, like, I it, it's just like R I N U. You mean Linus? No, it, it, VK. Anyway, Renus VK uh, crashed in qualifying or crashed crashed in uh, practice, and then crashed in this race. And you saw again, he got up into the high line, lost control of it, hit the wall, and he actually collected Alex Pelo. And I felt really bad for him. Pelo was coming out that of the pit stops. It really was. And I want to like pause right here because i think this is one of the big stories of this race and is the difference between how good the veterans were and how green the rookies were because the rookies not only are they experiencing their debut indycar race but they're doing it in a completely unknown fashion yeah unlike anything they've ever experienced and and i think that's part of the fun of it is that so far this year, it, we're, all bets are off. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of the fun. I think it is, too. Uh, let's play Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon had this quote um, where he talked about uh, how he saw it from his perspective. In terms of rookies versus veterans. Yeah, I think for a lot of us, you know, and, and Joseph would probably agree, is that, you know, for, for a lot of us, we've been here many times. You know, you could see when I saw the rookie session, I'm like, oh, my God, how bad is this track? Because, you know, they were they were struggling to get over 205. And um, I, I didn't know. We hadn't tested here. We hadn't really run these tires. You know, the, the aero screamers knew that, you know, there's a lot of big changes going on. So, um, you really had to go in with an open mind and, and you know, kind of uh, make sure that all the work that you had done really, you know, worked out and, and you know, the track and, and everything actually felt great from from the get-go. Of, of, um, yeah, really hard on the rookies and a lot of people that hadn't been here before. So for the veterans, I think it was definitely definitely a, a, uh, an advantage. That was your current IndyCar points leader after one race, <laughs> Scott Dixon. So far, halfway through 2020, your points leader with one race yeah. is Scott Dixon. Uh, uh, but he has a great point. It's what we talked about last week is that, yeah, the rookies are going to come out. And they're going to be slower. But there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And I think he was he was right on, too, where in a race with so many question marks, with so many unknowns, to be able to have the comfort of, oh, I'm pulling up behind, you know, uh, James Hinchcliffe. I know how Hinch drives, right? I know how Simon Pagino drives. I know how insert driver here drives, and you have that comfort of giving trust. It's something that Alex Rossi pointed out in the uh, in, in the uh, Indy 500 replay um, a few weeks ago, uh, was that he knew, both he and Simon um, were talking about how fast they were going to run. It was actually Simon said, I knew where I could push, I knew I could go that fast and compete that hard because I trusted Alexander Rossi 
with everything that I had. And I knew that Alexander Rossi had that trust in me. Mm. And I think that's where the, the real veteranness came through because you saw some veterans who also struggled, like Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, and but it, can we say, even though he's, what, three-time champion? It's, yeah, I think so. Is he as veteran as Scott Dixon? He's not, okay. Asking, or willpower. Asking that is like asking if anybody is as veteran as Bartolo Colon or Yaramir <laughs> Yager, all right? Like, like <laughs> yeah, okay, Vladimir Tarasenko's been around for like, you know, a decade at this point, but uh, you know, Yaramir Yager about, I mean, was 48 when he was playing at that time. So, like, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, Bartolo Colon, a.k.a. Big Sexy, up against, you know, someone who up against Jack Flaherty. Yeah, he's got a lot of talent, but in the if you're going to look for someone that can outfox him, it's going to be Bartolo Colon. I don't compare Scott Dixon to Bartolo Colon because yeah, while, while, it, was, while it was your comparison. While Colon is undoubtedly sexier than Scott Dixon. Nolan Ryan then. Scott or, Dixon <laughs> or the other guy whose name escapes me but Walter Johnson? No. no. Cy uh, Young. Um <laughs> We'll, 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 we'll figure get, it out we'll later. Get it. Anyway, we'll fix this in the edit. Anyway, but, but I, I would say, though, that Joseph, you know, he is a veteran. Um, Simon Paginal, again, veteran. He's been around, I think this is ninth year in car racing. Um, but it, it just, it goes to show that, like, it's not just veteranness. It's coming prepared. Joseph Newgarden and Simon Paginal had two different approaches to their car, and which is interesting because they're both Penske cars, and you would think, like, oh, you know, we're going to share their notes. They might have, but they also, with so many unknowns, they went with two different strategies. So mm. let's start with Joseph Newgarden. Joseph Newgarden uh, qualified uh, pretty high, but at lap 33, he pitted. He claimed he had vibration in the right rear, and he just kind of, the whole night was holding on to his position. He wasn't really attacking in my book so much as he was just kind of, I'm going I'm to get a good position out of here. He he yeah. It wasn't an, a particularly inspired drive, and in I think that's because he just didn't trust everything. And yeah, he just maintained, and then said, "Hey, this feels weird." So he he did. I get it. Yeah, and here's here's what uh, Joseph Newgarden had to say about uh, him, just kind of where he struggled. Yeah, I think uh, you know, at least from from our side. Um, it was a little bit of everything, you know, we, it was limited track time, obviously with practice and, you know, felt like we got a certain read on, on where we were. Um, but you're seeing, you know, very large mechanical shifts with the car, high CG, high weight, um, dramatically different weight distribution. And with that, I think you get tired temperature shifts, you know, by yourself and in traffic. And it's really just about how you're working the tires. And I think that's probably where we, we struggled personally on the one car tonight. We just were not in the right operating range. So I struggled with tires mightily right from, right from the beginning of each stint. Um, but that's all part of the game. You know, it's, it's new with this aero screen, you know, we, we took a little bit of a guess on our car and, you know, it didn't, it didn't come out as a winning guess, but um, it at least gives us a direction. You know, we're going to work with it and figure out what's best for it. That is Joseph Newgarden, and uh, I think he's right on. Like, there's there's a lot of changes in terms of, you know, the arrow, in terms of the arrow screen, in terms of how the tires are holding up, that it, there were a lot of places to go wrong. So it's really hard to nail down one place that you're going wrong. I think that really helped Scott Dixon get the win, not that he needed any help. Um, is I don't think he had an issue like that. I agree. And there's also something to be said, though, for the, the grizzled veteran knowing what to do. There is. There is. Um, a, and Simon Pagino, interestingly, 
had an opposite take on how he set up his car. He said that basically he reset to the 2020 or the 2019 Texas setup. We uh, on a 22 car, we took a different approach. Um, we, we decided to uh, restart with what we had last year because there were too many unknown. Um, and, and just like Joseph explained, cars change a lot uh, technically. Um, and the tires obviously seeing a very different um, effort, I would say. Um, so obviously, um, you know, the degradation uh, factor was, was different than what we expected. Uh, but when you only have an hour, an hour and a half of testing, you only have time for three changes that are quick to do, quick fix. But it's not like you can reinvent the wheel and, and go into qualifying end race with something you haven't even tested on track. So um, it was pretty much a day to day where you had to unload good to, uh, to win the race, I think. And uh, I think we were okay on the 22 car. I think we were actually getting pretty good at the end. Um, but um, yeah, just ran a bit out of time, I think. But uh, overall, uh, I think we maximized what we had. Simon Pagino, I think that's a really interesting take. One of the things I appreciated was he pointed out, he's like, hour and a half testing um, or practice, you have time for three minor changes on this car. That's it. And and yeah, sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. And you know, no one, no team on the planet could possibly get it perfectly right by by sheer science. It's most there's a, there is a lot of luck that's involved too. Yeah, it, it's 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 a little like like when you love somebody and like you have to kind of learn it and like learn how to, you know, interact with them. You can't just say, "All right, so, you know, you like this girl, go up, say these three words, there's, you know, say these things, say do this and bam, you know, you're getting hitched next Tuesday, right? Like, it's like, no, you have to spend some time with the track. You have to get to know the track. You have to learn where it gives and where it takes, right? You have to, you know, kind of feel it out, and there was no time to feel it out. Relationship troubles? With, you know, who? (laughs) Okay. Hey, you know, I'm not going to pry. I'm just asking. All right. I I mean, (laughs) yeah, I'm sorry, man. It it felt like that, that, uh, that particular analogy was a little close to home there, Luke. What it's was okay. it? We can I, talk about you it. Know, you know, my girlfriend okay. is here in the studio. You want to talk to her? Well put, babe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, but, you know, I, I think that that was an interesting point was that, you know, hey, three time, three things that you can adjust. And I quite liked that in the format, that mm-hmm. kind of unknown. All the teams were having – just a bear of a time trying to figure this track out and you know i think it was just it just added to the randomness of it the the unexpected nature of how everything played out and it was fun it was just fun how would you feel about formula one taking something exactly the same as or similar to this one shot one day approach here i think they should do that for the second weekend of whatever race they do so second weekend in Silverstone, second weekend at Austria, or do it the first weekend where you don't get practice. You don't get any – you just go out and qualify. Now, I guarantee Lewis Hamilton is going to put it on pole, but I think that's what they should do. Just take – add some randomness to it. Throw in chance. Do something. Mm-hmm. And I know that everybody's opposed to the reverse grids and everything else. Everybody thinks it's you know gimmicky and blah, blah, blah. But add some some kind of random add some kind of field leveling 
thing, element that could that could really radically change the outcome of the weekend. It's it does become boring when everybody can dominate around where they should be. And I get that it's a meritocracy in Formula One where merit gets you whatever you want. But at the same time, it's 2020. Try something new, guys. Like anything. The only an- the, the only wrong answer is nothing. So, Yeah, I, I would agree. And you know what? I didn't once see this weekend and their... their- crazy set of rules as a gimmick. I didn't once think that IndyCar, oh, we got to deal no. with this gimmick. I, I don't think it was a gimmick at all. I think it was a really innovative approach to uh, limit exposure of all the teams and all the drivers and add an element of fun to, yeah. to the proceedings. It's not gimmicky at all. The closest we came to a gimmick was, again, the tire thing, but the tire thing can't be helped. Firestone is doing everything that they can right. to have a tire out there. They just can't make it. And I know Pirelli is running their factory around the clock to get everything done for next month with yeah. Formula One. So it, uh, I I adored this weekend, and I don't have the audio cut up, but I will say that if you go back and uh, I, I might actually post the uh, the Twitter sc- a screenshot of the transcript on Twitter um, at Formation Lap One Hundred and One, Simon, Joseph, and Scott all loved this weekend in terms, and they mentioned how much fun it was, how like challenging but also entertaining it was to do everything in one monster day exactly have it be one big show just one one shot there you go and it it's more it's more of a challenge mm-hmm. than than a than a gimmick or oh this is just whatever it's a real challenge let's see if you actually have what it takes and as a bonus you're not having fans at these races uh so you're not losing out on multiple day ticket sales right which is a huge factor on why we have three days of Formula One weekends is because yeah. get those three-time ticket sales. So let's talk about uh, some a guy who I is absolutely gutted for, Felix Rosenquist. He had a phenomenal race, and even though you know he spun on lap, let me flip to my notes here, one ninety, spun on lap one ninety, coming gunning for Scott Dixon, coming right up to him. I think this was an un- this was a great eye-opening opportunity for me to see after mid Ohio last year really how good Felix Rosenquist has the possibility of being because if you remember last season he started out pretty weak uh on the uh, the opening half or quarter of the season. Yeah, it was not not a great start. Not great. But then he took it to Scott Dixon and battled him at mid Ohio. I mean, really close finish there. And you go, "Okay, but it's Felix Rosenkist, right? Like he is used to, you know, actual permanent, you know, road courses. Um, Indy cars have ovals, you know, like you have yeah. to deal with a lot of ovals. He comes out in an oval and he looked very strong. And I think we, I don't know if I want to use it or champion, but I think we could be looking at a, a really solid race win threat for him in the future. Completely agree. He, yeah. he had a rocket of a car, and I have to assume some of that was taken from Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon mentioned that he knew he had the about the exact same car because our teammates are going to share. Scott right. Dixon has a rocket. He's not just going to be like, hey, Felix, good luck, buddy. Yeah, Chip Shinesi will not let that happen. <laughs> no, not what, you could, not what you could do a one-two finish at the opening race of this season. 100% against Penske and Andretti? Yeah. Absolutely, that's what you're yes. going to do. But uh, – but I, I just, I felt so bad. He crashed in traffic, and that is really back to that theme of rookies versus veterans. 
both Dixon and Rosenquist came out after their final pit stop in heavy traffic. I think Dixon was on the inside line of, I think, turn three, and he had a car in front of him, behind him, and on his outside and in the midfield, and he was fine. Felix Rosenquist has a couple cars around him, spins, and just loses, loses it. It. It, it, was, and it was gutting to see his head in, well, like the, the cam afterward. He just, his head just kind of sank, and he was like, oh. and you could see that, just the just the fighting spirit leave him, and you're yeah. like, oh, the poor darn that sucks. Yeah, uh, I I put that like one tier under. Come on, Charles. Uh, the Come on, <laughs> Charles was the saddest I've ever seen a race driver. I am stupid. <sighs> yes. Yeah, that, that was uh, that was heartbreaking. But yeah, you know, it was heartbreaking to watch that. But again, eye opening for me in terms of this guy has a bright future, and even if you know he he might not be the next Joseph Newgarden, but you know. It took Joseph, you know, a couple of years to turn himself to turn himself on into the driver he is today. It took Simon a couple of years. Alex Rossi it took, you know, his rookie and his sophomore season. Felix Rosenquist, uh, he looked pretty impressive. He is a strong driver, a very talented driver, and he'll be great for IndyCar for years to come. So after that yellow flag flies, and this is the final little question mark on this race. It was it was a really interesting thing. They. IndyCar's pit, pit procedure works like this. Under yellow flag, all the cars on the lead lap come in, they get their pit stop, right? And they come out. And then the cars behind the lead lap, lead lap they then come in, pit, and they come out. So then all, you have all the cars on the lead lap and all the cars behind the lead lap in more or less sequential order for the restart, right? Um, it lengthens the amount of time you have to, you know, actually on you're under yellow, but it prevents pit lane clogging which when you're in an open wheel car can be disastrous it yeah there are a lot of things that can go wrong and if anything yeah it can be really really treacherous so they let the lead lap drivers come through but they didn't let the lap down drivers take their pit stop they lined them up and they just waved the green flag now what this led to was basically dixon and then some drivers who are a lap down, and then clear back there is, you know, Pagano, Newgarden, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like, why are they giving them all this traffic? And I think that it was it was a decision to, we're going to finish this race under green. Have you seen gestures broadly at the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they, they did need to let it finish under green. <laughs> they did. And I, Simon talked about this, and you heard this, and I think this is this is why I like Simon Pagino, even though you know our F one fans are like Lando Norris, blah blah blah, because this is a very understanding cut, and this is kind of the the guy I know him to be. So Simon Pagino, on you know if he was at a disadvantage starting that, that far behind Dixon, that weird ending. Yes, uh, I think Dixon was too good, anyways. Quite frankly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty realistic about my chances. I think he was the car to beat tonight. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't understand the, the situation. I, I need to look at the rules. Uh, maybe I'm the one that didn't understand it. But, um, yeah, I was, a, I was surprised that they didn't move the cars. But I'm assuming it's because they wanted to go back green. And quite frankly, I get that. You know, you've got to give a show. We're here for a show. You know, at the end of the day, uh, again, uh, with everything that's going on, we, we couldn't finish on the yellow, um, even though we did, but it was the last corner. So, um, 
that, I think that that's probably what race control thought, saw, and, and the only way they could go back green in time before the end was was to do that. And so if they decided to do that, I, I totally get it. Simon Pagino, yeah. that's yeah. No, that, that I and I completely agree. That was a very it's a very level headed, calm way to look at it. Saying I get it. There's a, we have to put on a show, and, and at the because at the end of the day, yes, you're athletes, but you're also entertainers. Mm-hmm. So. And I think that it was it was also in, interesting of him to mention. I mean, Simon's a, a pretty fair guy. He just straight up said, "Yeah, no, wouldn't have made a difference. Dixon was that better, that much better than me." Yeah, and I mean, hey. Call a spade a spade. I like it. I, I like that too. Uh, we have a we have another cut that we haven't got to yet. It was uh, Joseph Newgarden, uh, and I believe he. Uh, yeah, this is the one where Dixon. He's talking about Dixon passing Newgarden on uh, lap ninety one. I think it was, and Dixon set up a pass to the outside and made that pass to the outside, which we've talked is unheard of in this race to make no, a pass stick on not, the outside. It, it's not. It's not easy to do. <laughs> no, at all. So this is on New Garden letting Dixon go by, and it's similar. He's just calling a spade a spade. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Scott was just – look, he was way better than me tonight. Um, it's as simple as that. You know, he had a good run, was able to, to stay pretty tight, fresh on tires like he talked about. And um, honestly, tonight for me was just a night of hanging on. I was doing everything I could to just try and stay up front. Um, so, you know, when, when he came up uh, alongside me on the front straightaway there, it was it was not really much I could fight. You know, he was coming with a head of steam, and, and you know, it would have been foolish for me to try and bury the car into turn one and fight him. Um, when I, you know, I think he, he was far enough ahead, and he was going to pass me either way. So it, it's one of those nights you just got to kind of swallow your pride. You know, <laughs> we knew we just weren't good enough tonight. And, uh, look, I just tried to, you know, finish as high as possible. That was what we did. And, and the team really put me in a position to do that. Um, we had amazing stops. We just – you know, we kept fighting and trying to create a strategy to keep me up front, even though I wasn't wasn't very good throughout a tire stint. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, third place for us feels almost like a win tonight. Now, when you can have Simon Pagino and, uh, and Joseph Newgarden, both who are phenomenally talented drivers, look at Scott Dixon, realize that he's in the next level above them and just go, yep, Say, nope. hats off. Well done, sir. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all, let's all scrap it out back here. Yeah. <laughs> they they realized they were outclassed on that day. And, you know, again, it goes back to just having a very respectful grid. It, so It does. Um, one final takeaway, Tim, and I want to hear your thing, hear your opinion on this, is I recognize this. I kind of come to this realization every time I watch Scott Dixon win. But, like, you know, they're talking he now has a win in 18 separate years, which ties Al Unser, or ties, yeah, ties, I want to say it's Al Unser, for second most, and he's five wins behind Mario Andretti for second most IndyCar wins of all time, right? Like, when you hear those stats, it's one thing, but then you watch the way Scott Dixon races, and it really sets into me that, like, I am watching the greatest IndyCar driver of this generation, hands down, and, like, not just the best IndyCar driver, one of the best drivers in the world. This guy is absolutely unreal. He is a world-class talent, and... He's honestly in the global scene. I feel like he's he's criminally underrated. He absolutely is. I I don't want to say I, I don't want to put money on him versus like a Lewis Hamilton, right? Like all bets are off. That would be an insane matchup. But let me tell you, he could shellac. I want to say probably ninety to ninety percent of the F one field. Absolutely. 
it, he, you would slot him into a top tier drive and he would and be just the, fine. Up and down the field, he would mop him. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, if you put him up against like Seb, Charles, uh, I'd put him up against Valtteri. Absolutely, yeah. and have him win. I wouldn't be shocked if he beat Lewis Hamilton in a one-on-one race, but like that's the class he's in. Right? It's, it's otherworldly, and the fact that he doesn't get more like global press kind of irks me a bit. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it, it is very cool to watch. You're watching, and it he he is in a class with Lewis Hamilton. When you think, when you look at it, and think, this is a generational talent that we don't always get to see. It's like watching Mike Trout with the Angels, even though he's on the Angels, or Mickey Mantle when Mickey Mantle came through. You're watching someone generational that comes along once in a great while to be a hero. Yeah. Uh, Albert Pujols, when he was at the Cardinals, right? At a certain point, you sit there and you appreciate the fact that I will not see this again in my lifetime, probably, right? Like, it's just, this is the kind of thing that happens once in a lifetime that when you have great grandkids, you're like, I saw Scott Dixon race, and you might not be super familiar with him because he was criminally underrated, but let me tell you, this guy would go toe-to-toe with anybody on the grid. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, Lewis Hamilton, everybody thought you wouldn't see anybody like that again after Schumacher left. And then, because Schumacher won all of his championships kind of alongside the Lance Armstrong thing, you're thinking, oh, my God, these guys are amazing in the early 2000s. No, no. It's Lewis. Yeah. Lewis comes through and does almost the impossible yes he's got a great team but his feedback and his work with the engineers cannot be understated and you know he does he does a phenomenal job and i think he's a better champion so mathematically he'll overtake schumacher and as an overall champion i think he'll be probably the greatest of all time i don't want to i don't want to call a winner on a scott dixon versus lewis hamilton like race of champions event because i feel like it would be disrespecting Whoever I picked as you the loser, say, you, would, you would disrespect one of the two of them. So <laughs> right. they're great. They're yeah, both great. They're both fantastic. Yeah, get either one. Yeah. So do you want to shift it on over to awards, or do you want to get through our little news segment first? Let's end on the awards. All right. Since we haven't had them in a long time, let's put them toward the end. Uh, but let's go through our little news section. Let's get. Let's go through the news that is fit to peruse. All Love right. It. James Allison, head engineer of Mercedes-AMG, says the FIA initially rejected the DAS, that's the dual-axis steering, uh, because they didn't think Mercedes could make it legal. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah, and that mistake <laughs> yeah, to challenge Mercedes' engineering department is a horrible mistake. Mercedes wanted to run a lever-based dual-axis steering in 2019, but the FIA said, oh, no, 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 look at these bylaws. Uh, if you want to do that, the whole wheel's going to have to move. And uh, for If you want it to be legal, the whole wheel's going to have to move and just basically dismiss the DAS. And according to James Allison, he believes that the FIA basically hoped that they're going to make the whole steering wheel move. That's going to be too. No, no, that's they're out of our hair now, right? No yeah. way they make the whole steering wheel move. Oops. <laughs> and yeah, well, what they did essentially was say, "Here's our initial idea." They're like, "No, that that that's illegal. The way you would have to make it legal is to do this." And then Mercedes did that, and they said, "Oh, well, darn." <laughs> the so, FIA had to eat crow. They had to basically go, "Oh." Yeah, we didn't want it to be legal, uh, which is part of the reason why we banned it in the subsequent season. But we didn't, we didn't think you'd do it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't actually think you'd pull this off. So, well done. Yeah. It's legal. 
Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats. Uh, we will rule it out. I think it's kind of criminal to rule it out. I think everybody could catch up to it. I think they could too, but I also think that um, this is the worst time in history to have introduced it because yep. what it's going to end up being but is will... a bidding war under a budget cap. Yeah, and uh, but they'll be kind of deli- that. That one system will probably hand Lewis the 2020 championship. I, I honestly think think it might uh unless you're our guys from the Outlap F one podcast who, you know, <laughs> they're gonna pick Ferrari. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, no, bro. Everything so, racing the, uh yeah. they, they, they might have sandbagged a little bit, but they hardly changed that car. They're focusing <laughs> all their cash on twenty twenty two car. Nah. Speaking of Ferrari, uh Ferrari. Ferrari. This isn't on our outline, uh, but I did read a report from a site that is I I give it like ninety percent reliable, so I'm not gonna put it down here until I hear it from a better outlet. But uh Roger Penske is uh er, Roger Penske and IndyCar are officially now in talks with Ferrari. So like it's not a rumor, they they chit chatting. They they are having initial overtures mm-hmm. as to what it would take to have Ferrari in IndyCar, and I am thrilled. I am, too, because, I mean, here's the thing, is Ferrari should be like, IndyCar, have us. IndyCar, even more, should be like, oh, Ferrari, please, let me roll out the red carpet. Let me clean the toilets off for them. I, you could eat off these toilets. They're so nice. We really... <laughs> we, we, We're in Ohio. They're called turlets. We pulled Come out, eat off our turlets. <laughs> we pulled out all the stops for you. And Roger Penske would be like, yes, Ferrari. <laughs> yes. Come here. Yes. But uh, I, I think that this is a match made in heaven, and no disrespect to McLaren, that is already a 100% sexy name to be having an IndyCar. Throwing Ferrari in there, if you're IndyCar, catapults your heck, brand. Heck to the yeah. Yeah. Bring them in. That would be massive. In other news, Roger Penske talked about um, expanding the IndyCar schedule. He says he kind of wants to pump out the number of races a little more, which, I mean, they're running 14 races this year, but, you know, 18 to 20. I think you could probably do it. One of the things is, you know, F1 stuck at, you know, 20, 21, 22, but they have to go across the globe. That's not exactly the same as going from, you know, Indy to Detroit to, you know, St. Louis. Or even to Laguna Seca, right? It, it's not. It is definitely not the same thing. It's it's all continental travel, and even if you wanted to take it up to you know Canada, yeah, you know maybe maybe go to the Sergio Villeneuve uh, after an, you know and kind of tag it along with the weekends that F one does it, so they don't have to completely redo the island again, or you know down to Mexico, yeah. um, you know you keep it on the continent. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, you expand the IndyCar brand. IndyCar also has a long history of Brazilian races, too, and uh, that would be certainly be good. They have a, they've had a number of fantastic uh, Brazilian drivers over the years. So something to watch out for. Uh, I think an expanded IndyCar schedule would only be a positive. The other thing is he's talking about an F1 race in Indianapolis as soon as, like, 2022. Um, that will be interesting because I don't really like the Indy road course as an F1 track. Um, I think it's okay as an IndyCar track, but not like a, you know, a real banger of a track. But you know what, Roger Penske is absolutely willing to do: redo the Indy Road Course. He would do it if there's anybody on the planet that would. It's him. It, so. it absolutely is. So, a uh, couple interesting news: Roger Penske, uh, he's saying all the right things too. Expanded schedule, and he's taught. He said, according to this, you know, rumor mill already talked about, you know. 
we have to make sure that there's still a balance of ovals, road courses, and temporary street circuits. All right, fantastic. I'm in. You can't just go tack on ovals everywhere or go tack on temporary street circuits everywhere, Formula One. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So uh, Roger Pinsky doing all the right things. And, uh, hopefully we have a more solid update on that uh, next week where we can actually do some you know, reporting and, de- and de- deep diving, shall we say. Yep. Um, and the only other news from the Formula One world, uh, Mercedes hit the track at Silverstone today. I saw that. I ha- I didn't get the opportunity to see how it went or see any pictures or reports, but I did see that headline. Just some pictures, and really, they couldn't pull data. They have to any out, uh, you know, out of season testing that you do, uh, or out of schedule testing that you do, has to be on the old car uh, or a car that's two years old. Hence, why McLaren can't because that has a Honda engine in it. Mm-hmm. Oops, that sucks. Yeah, so yeah, so the W O nine for. Uh, Ford Mercedes broke cover today with the current 2020 livery, and they were out on track just practicing, kind of getting in the swing of things with uh, doing their social distancing and uh, having their um, protective gear that they need for the COVID-related issues. So uh, it was good to see that today. Kind of fun. Absolutely is, and it's it's desperately needed if IndyCar is anything to uh, to show us because I, with all due respect to the teams, they gave 110%, if I can use my least favorite Americanism, but uh, – the IndyCar teams were not exactly having a on great point. great time being on top of things. Yep, and I'm I'm hoping that uh, teams like oh I don't know say Williams uh, don't come up and kind of look crummy. Oh, oh poor Williams! All right, you want to get into some awards? So Let in us this, in this episode on some absolute positives. So Tim, I don't have an old man rant. Uh, I don't. I don't think you've prepped for an old man rant. So we'll save that for next week because I feel like now that we're in the studio, the old man rant is very much back in play. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But uh, would you like to start with the People's Champion or Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week Award? Let's go with the Yikes of the Week Award just to give the champion its rightful place as they anchor the end. Ah, absolutely. Uh, so Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week Award. It's time for Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week. Yikes! <laughs> All right. So I have two candidates here, and yep. I I feel sad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel sad that two of these guys have to be on here, but let's start with Felix Rosenquist. I think it was a, I think it was a fantastic weekend for him, but he also crashed hunting down first place with ten laps to go, win a perfectly winnable race. If this were Seb Vettel, we'd call that a choke. We would, but since it's the first race back, I think we'll hold off on the choking uh, for for the time being. I do think that the award goes to our second nominee. I have a mystery third nominee. So oh, do you. Uh, so you're leaning towards our second nominee, Renus VK, who had a crash in practice, a crash on lap 38, took out fellow rookie Alex Pillow. Uh That's not the debut you want in an Indy car. That's true. And I really feel gutted for him. Like I, Usually we give out these awards with some amount of vitriol, but this is an understandable struggle, and honestly, it, it sucks, but... That is a big yikes of an IndyCar debut. Uh, that's a bummer. It but is. But who is your third? Uh, I am going to see if I can bait you with this one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. 
Go ahead. Uh, all right. How would you feel about nominating he who shall not be named for troubles in the pits and retiring for his uh, his race <laughs> in the Genesis three hundred? That you know that wasn't his about. fault, though. I can't make him a yikes of the week. It wasn't his fault, or was that his fault? I I don't think I. It was trouble in the pits. I think they just they no because yeah, he took off was, too soon and the wheel wasn't on. That's what the trouble was. But I don't think he would have taken it off, taken off if he didn't get a go command. Sure, he would. It's him. <laughs> you, I mean, it's it's Voldemort. Um, it <laughs> it is. But but I, uh, I I don't know what what let let's nominate. I uh, I still think I still think the award goes to Rena's VK. Uh, I I do have a another mystery uh, that did take place in iRacing over the last week. And it's probably the the dumbest thing that this person does all the time. Um, Do tell. It's a. It is. He did have a video made about him that I sent you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would. And for some reason, he was in the F one race this this weekend alongside F one or Formula E. F one. F one. He okay. was in the F one I race, and he took out Charles Leclerc on the Baku circuit. Shocker. Uh, I am talking about one Mahavir Ragunathan. <sighs> and he and he was getting alongside Charles in a Renault, and Charles said, oh, please, please, Mahavir, no. Please, <laughs> Mahavir, no. Please don't. No. Re- get away from me. Please do not try. He was literally psyching him off in the chat, saying, please don't. No, no, no. And then what does he do? The thing that... Mahavir Ragunathan, for anybody that doesn't know, is a is a fledgling driver who's not very fast. <laughs> He's not very good, but had, through sheer force of will, he keeps going. Last year in Formula 2, he had inarguably the worst season for a single driver ever. It was He got banned po- twice. He did get banned twice because he keeps wrecking people. He is, honestly, he is the patron saint of crashes. He has taken over from Pastor Crash, uh, Pastor <laughs> Crash Donaldo. And when he isn't crashing, by the way, he's like... Four to five seconds off the pace. <laughs> yeah, per lap. Per lap. <laughs> it's 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 incredible how slow this guy is, but he just keeps going, and I don't know who keeps sponsoring him, but you know, shady money in in motorsport. But he he was in the i race, and Charles Leclerc literally begged him not to hit him, <laughs> and he did it. So I think that is going to be my nominee for the X of the week. <laughs> oh, oh, mm, all right. Um, so I this think is, it's this is I think it's one. between Rhinus VK and Mahavir Ragunathan for me. I will state I will state my argument for Rhinus VK. All right, we expect these things out of Mahavir Ragunathan. This is Mahavir Ragunathan is going to crash in every race he's been in, and he's been in hundreds presumably. All yep. right, um, Rhinus VK only gets one indie car debut. He only gets one chance to spin out and take out a fellow rookie. And as if he wasn't feeling bad enough, he made another guy feel worse because he didn't do anything. Alex Pelot didn't. And he has to deal with that guilt. Rhinus, congratulations. You won Connor Daly's Yikes of the Week. Congratulations. Right. Your award is in the mail. So, sir, it's been a while since you've regaled us with your your the golden pipes of luke 
Well, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know that, of course, what we're talking about is the people's champion. It was worse when I took my headphones off. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. And then he said, it. I'm like, oh, God, it's worse. So, um, yes. Welcome to the people's champion. There are quite a few. Uh, nominees. Uh, I have four, five nominees here, actually. Um, and I want to start off with a driver we didn't talk about yet. Zach Veach came out of nowhere. Solid qualifying time. Fourth place finish. We talked. Uh, we we touched on his qualifying. Yeah, we touched on his qualifying, but in his race, a fourth place finish. Well done, Zach Veach. Pretty damn good. That's a really good start to the season. And no offense to Zach Veach, but that is not the Andretti driver I expected to be at the front of the pack. I completely agree. I really (laughs) thought it would have been someone else. But, uh, you know, Rossi, where were you? But, oh, wait, no, you were getting stuck out in the marbles. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, a really great weekend for him. Um, And then a a rare uh, double entry this week for both Yikes of the Week and people's champion, Felix Rosenquist. <laughs> Felix ran near the top of the entire race, went for went gunning for Scott Dixon for the win, and spun out. He's bummer, sp- but a really great performance this weekend. We cannot take that away from him. Scott Dixon was he had Felix Rosenquist in the back of his mind. He said it himself in the press conference. Um, he knew how good Felix is, and Felix is coming into his own in ovals, which again, before last year. He has never raced an oval, uh, so I uh, congratulations to Felix Rosenquist. Is he our? He might be our first people's champion slash yikes of the week nominee. Yeah, I, think, I think that is the first time we've ever done that. Uh, he's um, deserving of it though. Well, phenomenal he performance. He absolutely is. Uh, I I will keep the trend of drivers going here. Unexpectedly good drivers. Uh, Charlie Kimball. Charlie Kimball was running fifth, spun out on the final lap, but good weekend. Great weekend from him. Yes, really solid return to racing. Uh, you know, especially given how much time he had out of the car. Unfortunately, you you know, if you're Charlie Kimball, you don't get many shots at a fifth place points, and you'd like to cash in on that. But uh, Charlie Kimball had some pace, and I certainly hope that he has it in the next race, and that he can you know cash in on the points he missed out on here. Completely agree. To break with the drivers, you have nominated, and I, I completely agree. IndyCar. Uh, as a whole the organization well done you know as coming back you have tons of things to to consider and to do well done well done good show if indycar had more to deal with than formula one or nascar did on their return simply because of they have to add the aero screen and nascar uh and you know pirelli and uh, goodyear in nascar they made new tires they are they either made new tires or making new tires, or they didn't really have to change all that much. You had unknown tires. You had an extra 60 pounds of weight in an entirely new handling kind, you know, changes the handling of the car in the aero screen. You had, you know, you had a lot of rookies making a debut here, and you did it all in one day. Practice, qualifying, race, bam, 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 and you made it a fantastic show. And hats off to you. Like, that. that is a lot of factors. But uh, but I will let you go with our final nominee. Our, our final one is as if we haven't given him enough love here already. Um, Scott Dixon, 47th career win, makes for victories in 16 consecutive years. He's tied with A.J. Foyt for most years with a victory, with 18 years with a victory. 16 of those, of course, consecutive. He is 
five wins shy of Mario Andretti for second on the all-time win list. And that is... Those are names. <laughs> those are titans of motorsport. Mm-hmm. So, um, Luke, who is your nominee? Who who do you think should win this week? I di- I, I think we should start with the eliminations. Okay. I think I think that's how we did it. I have to like rack my brain back to. I a, was just gonna go straight for the kill, but yeah, let's uh, back, let's circle. Have to rack um, my brain back to a pre-pandemic world. Would you like to eliminate our first? I will eliminate Felix Rosenquist. Uh, unfortunately, I think he, if he finished either first or second, he would be a very easy, uh, front runner for this award, but mm. he spun. Um, would you like to eliminate our second? I will. I'm going to eliminate Charlie Kimball. Good, solid weekend. Not people's champ worthy with the other performances we had this week. If we give Charlie Kimball the award, we have to give Zach Veach the award more because he did better. Correct. Um, so we're down to Zach Veach, IndyCar, or Scott Dixon. Mm-hmm. With all due respect to Zach Veach, he had a phenomenal race. This is just an incredibly tight, incredibly tight week here. I'm eliminating Zach Veach. There you go. All, all right. right. So it's Scott Dixon and IndyCar. Make your case. Ah, <sighs> oh, this is really hard. It, um, it is. This is this is. D- terribly difficult. I'm going to make a proposal. All right. I'm going to go for one here. I say they both get it. I'm okay with because giving them an exception of a double. I, because I think that the, you cannot. The sheer logistics. How many things could have gone wrong? How many things didn't go wrong? And a great weekend to boot where you put it all on one day the just the sheer amount of stuff and effort that had to go into that cannot be understated in any way so i think that indycar you you just can't eliminate them and then you have scott dixon in his 18th season where a global pandemic has delayed things you are a creature of habit you get used to things you get used to rhythms I mean, you. I, I heard NFL players talking about going over to London and how they're just kind of throwaway games because they. Oh, it's all out of you get get your routine all out of whack. You're completely out of whack now. Within your 18th year, you are a seasoned grizzled vet. You're almost tied all time with Mario Andretti. What? <laughs> so, yeah, you can't take it away from Scott either. You. Just, I. I. It's you can't. Either of them, I think they're both the people's champion this, this weekend. I would agree. I think if you give it to one, you disrespect the other. Exactly. So, and we can't do it. And I will say, this is not a common thing we're going to do here. This isn't a new standard. We're writing an exception because this is was an exceptional week of circumstances. An exceptional year of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And to have them both come forward and put on not only a great show, but have help help the world return to some version of normal, whatever that becomes when we get back there, I think it's great. I would agree. So one final thing. How are we feeling about Scott Dixon up on that wall of fame? We don't have an active driver up there. Um, I don't know if we want to break that. I think we do. Do we? Yep. All right. Scott, Scott Di- goes up there. Scott Dixon, your newest wall of fame nominee. We'll get it printed out, and we'll have the ceremony next week. And uh, on that bombshell, I'm Luke. I'm Tim. We'll catch you guys next week. To hear your name mentioned with Andretti and Boyd and to have all these accomplishments tonight and to start do it to start the season, 
what 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 does that make you feel? Well, for me, you know, to, to even be, you know, kind of listed in those names is amazing and, and uh, you know, it, it just um, it doesn't even really sink in, to be honest. You know, I feel very lucky and privileged to do what I do and, and you know, to get to race with, with uh, you know, the best in the world. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I just feel lucky and, and very privileged to be with this, uh, this team and, and able to, to come here and try and win races.